0: Hello there. You're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Today, we are speaking with Chuck Ridgway, Automation Technology Manager for Horner Automation Group. A part of Horner APG, an Indianapolis-based global leader in commercial automation and LED lighting, has been in operation for more than 35 years. Corner Automation specializes in the global automation market, serving original equipment manufacturers, integrators, and end-users from a variety of industries. The company offers a wide range of all-in-one integrated control products. For more than 30 years, Chuck has served in a variety of roles. Uh, he's also um, worked in the automotive industry as a field applications engineer. Um, he earned his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering at Kettering University. Chuck, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm I'm uh, really pleased to be here.
0: Can you provide us with an overview of Horner Automation Group's history and its role in the global automation market?
1: Sure. So Horner Electric, which is our parent company, that was founded back in the 1940s by the Horner Company, or by the Horner family, I should say. We're still family-owned, still run by the Horner family. It's just the sons now that run the business. And um, in Horner Automation at Horner Automation, which is our division, what we specialize in are all-in-one controllers. So if you take a programmable logic controller, which is kind of the heart of machine control in the factory environment, or pretty much just about any automation environment, and you took that component and you added a, a operator interface to it and maybe built-in I.O. and networking and those sorts of things, just about everything that you need for a machine control if you rolled that into a single component, that would be what we would call an all-in-one controller. And that's really what we specialize in. And as you mentioned just a minute ago, we really specialize in selling to OEM machine builders. So they're using our component, they're programming it to do whatever they need to do for their machine control, and then they're selling their machine into a variety of different
0: industries. And uh, why are all-in-one controls becoming increasingly important to manufacturers?
1: Sure. So there's a couple of different reasons. One reason is there are plenty of applications where space is a constraint, for instance. So let's say you manufacture small medical products, small medical devices. You know, you're not assembling automobiles. You don't need a machine the size of a garage. You need a machine that'll fit on a table for instance. So you still need all the same functionality that a PLC and operator Interface and all the other components would need on a larger machine, but your machine is on a tabletop. So an all-in-one controller just takes up a lot less space. So for that type of customer, it makes a lot of sense. And then kind of another area where it can make sense is uh, the fact that having all those components combined into one also combines all your data sources into one. So now every piece of data you have, whether it's used to control the machine or you're showing it to the operator or you're logging it away as history, or even if you're sending it up to the cloud or something, that's all the same set of data from one location instead of having to gather all that data from disparate you know locations and then try and figure out where you know, get it all uh, coordinated and then sent where it needs to go.
0: Well, that definitely would involve a lot of, of planning. What types of manufacturing processes can benefit the most from this type of solution? And uh, are there any uh, notable success stories or aha moments you can share from from a company standpoint?
1: Sure. So, um, just like you know, programmable logic controllers are used in just about every type of machine control out there Um, that really the same is true of all-in-one controllers as well so they're used all over the place Um, there's really no limit in terms of where they've been used Um, but there are plenty of success stories again i mentioned the fact that any machine that isn't physically large can really take advantage of an all-in-one controller Um, where we got our start is an example not necessarily that there was a need for a super small physical size device but um Back in the 90s actually, our first real PLC type product was a project we did for the US Post Office where they needed a small PLC that, that was networkable with, you know, potentially hundreds of them connected to a single, you know, conveyor system. And so we developed that for them from scratch and, you know, that was about after about 35 or 40,000 controllers being shipped, you know, mostly in the United States but also, you know, to Australia and other places that, you know, had postal requirements. Um, that was really our first start with um, uh, automation control, with the PLC side of the control. And then within a couple of years of that, we'd added the screen and extra IO and created the all-in-one controller that uh, you know today.
0: Well, that's a great story. Um, so how does your group address the interoperability and compatibility challenges that are associated with you know, implementing integrated control systems in a diverse manufacturing environment? You know I'm thinking about you know, I, I walk through many manufacturers where they have a combination of legacy equipment all the way to up to Industry 4.0. And even the most advanced, you know, I, I had a, a CEO of a Youngstown, Ohio company. He he was saying, well, you know, even what I have is the combination of the Jetsons and the Flintstones.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, when you buy a machine control, you're, or a mach, really what most manufacturers are doing is they're buying equipment, right? They're not buying the individual machine control. They're buying equipment and the machine control comes in on the equipment. And, you know, the larger the manufacturer, the more they may specify what comes in on the on the machine, that sort of thing. But of course, just like you mentioned, imagined every manufacturer has a wide mix of equipment of different you know ages and different capabilities. So uh, the way we deal with that is a, there's a couple different things we do. First of all, you know we're not Rockwell, we're not Siemens, we don't basically dictate to the market what's going to be used from a connectivity standpoint from a standard standpoint what we do is we follow those standards and we try to offer our customers as many of those connectivity options as possible so you know their machine may need to connect in a rockwell environment it may need to connect in a different environment Um, so we make sure we support as many of those kind of standardized communications methods as possible right just about as many as we can manage to squeeze into our product is what we're going to support, and then on the other side of things, for customers that are using our products, you know, and they may have a Fred Flintstone version of a Horner controller, for instance, and they want to update to the Jetsons version. You know, one thing we've been very cognizant about over the years is making sure that our um, that all the code that our product was based on, all the programming code that our customers need to do to take our general purpose product and make it do what they need to do. We made sure that our code was always upward compatible. So a customer could take one of our controllers that was, you know, that was is on a machine that was installed in 1998, and they could take that core bit of code that was maybe the core machine control for that machine, and they could update the machine with our latest products, and they could still use that core piece of code with, their la- with that machine as they update the controls. Of course, if they want to take advantage of the newer features and the newer technologies, they need to build on that core piece of code. But we always make sure that they can always go always go upward, even if it's 15 years upward.
0: And how does Horner Automation Group stay ahead of the curve in terms of you know, innovation and emerging technologies to, to better support manufacturers, especially as they move toward Industry 4.0?
1: Right. So that's one thing that we really pay a lot of attention to. So here's how we do that at Horner, at least. So we actually have an R&D group and their whole purpose is to look forward one year, three year, five year, 10 years. So what technology is coming, what's likely to be adopted in the industrial space and how can we ensure that we are designing our hardware products as well as, you know, the software and operating systems that are used inside of our products, how can we be sure that we're using the right tools or the right pieces in our products so that as those technologies finally become ready to deploy three years, five years, seven years from now, that we're ready for it? So that's really the biggest thing is we have an R&D, R&D group that's making sure that the hardware platforms that we design around, as well as our um, you know, our software toolkits are all ready for that new technology while ensuring that the core uh, that our customers have designed around, which is what I talked about a minute ago, to make sure that's still supported as well.
0: Now, what type of strategies or tools can manufacturers use to future-proof their automation systems? And what are, what are some of those that, that you've incorporated?
1: Sure. So again, the key, I think, for future, if you're looking at it from a manufacturer like a, a company like ourselves, to make sure that we're providing you know, gear to our customers, the OEM machine builders, and then of course they're providing it to their customers. Uh, again, it, the key is making sure that you're designing around platforms uh, that support the emerging technologies as they occur. Right? You don't want to be using some sort of microprocessor or some sorting operating system that's at a complete dead end Where there is no new development going on for it, if you want to incorporate new technology, you have to design it yourself from scratch to support that kind of, you know, dead end path that you're on. So really making sure that you're you're always looking forward and you're designing around as many industry standard, um, you know, toolkits, if you will, as
0: possible. How do you talk somebody down when they realize they've hit a dead end?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, again, well we. What you'd really try and do is, first of all, you got to be empathetic, right? We've all been to the point where maybe we design, you know, we designed something, we went down a path and we realized that, okay, we've gone as far as that can take us. And we now have to go a different direction. And that's not fun for anybody because somebody made that decision to follow that path, right? To, To design around that product or that technology. And then suddenly they realized that that was not, you know, they designed around Betamax and the world went a totally different direction, right? Yes. So the, the first part is to be empathetic. Um, and then really, it's just to try and give them their options. Okay, if here's your paths forward. And here are different options to get you from where you are today to where you think you need to be tomorrow. And here's the different steps you can take to get there. And to try and provide them a path that doesn't necessarily mean they have to jump with both feet all at once and spend hundreds and millions of dollars to get there. Give them the steps. That can get them from point A to point B, even if, even if uh, you know they go a little bit at a time.
0: Well, as, as you know, in this community uh, with manufacturing engineers, there's a lot of DIY pride in the community. So, uh, you know, absolutely. I, I, the, the other thing is uh, with with all of this data, and you know, now the the movement toward cloud services. You know, uh, you know, cybersecurity is a significant concern, and. How can manufacturers ensure the security and the resilience of their data through integrated control products and services?
1: Sure. So that's definitely a big issue these days. There's no question. Because um, as data becomes more critical, right? That's people are looking to not just use their equipment to control their machines and make products. They're, they want their, they're hungry for that data that's inside there. And so they need to make sure that they have a secure way of getting at that data and you know utilizing it. Now, that being said, keep in mind, we've just talked about the fact that most machine controls are a mixture of Fred Flintstone and the Jetsons, right? So you're not going to go in every two or three years and update all the PLCs and machine controls in your plant just so it's up to the latest security standards. What you will probably, a more practical approach really is going to be realizing that all that equipment, all the Fred Flintstone stuff and all the, the Jetson stuff, it all really exists in the same environment, right? It's inside your plant or your facility or or whatever that happens to be whatever that automation looks like so really making sure that you know i'm just going to use the generic term of a firewall but you want to make sure that the firewall you have surrounding the all that equipment the environment that equipment uh, lives in you want to make sure that is adaptable and that can be updated as the standards emerge much more quickly than the machine controls are going to be updated
0: so we've talked about the um, the technology side of, of things. However, we are very much in a, a situation where, um, as manufacturers transition to more automated processes, there's a need for, I think, higher skills level. And so, um, are are you doing anything directly to address the skills gap and and the workforce training needs?
1: Sure. So there's a couple of different things we're doing. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it on a couple of different levels. So one level would be Let's talk about what we're doing, I guess, on the automation provider skill gap. You know, the people that are building the machines that are doing the automation side, not necessarily the people that are using it yet. We'll talk about them in a minute. But for those that are making the automation, um, what we're trying to do there is just get as much content out there as we can from a training standpoint, because more and more these days, you don't necessarily have a bunch of degreed engineers out there doing automation. Of course, you still have that. But there are plenty of folks out there who are just interested in automation that have the desire and the need and the skill they may just not have, you know, six years of college or something like that. So we're putting, you know, we've literally got hundreds of of videos out there showing people how to use our product in certain situations, how to build up their skills in certain programming languages that they're going to need, how to integrate certain accessories with their automation system we're doing everything we can to make sure that information is is accessible and in a form that they can quickly um use and quickly take advantage of you know the days of the 3000 page user manual that you need to pour through to find that one little piece of information you still have to have that information but that's not the way people want to get it so that's one way so for the people that are creating automation we're just trying to get them practical information in the best way that they consume it as possible. Now, for those that are using automation on the factory floor, right, and it's not always a factory floor, uh, it could also be, you know, it could be a restaurant or a retail center or something like that. So let's let's take the example of, let's say that you're uh, OEM and you're making equipment, maybe an industrial dishwasher or maybe an ice cream machine or something that are used in an environment with obviously not, you know people that are skilled, but they're not skilled in in taking apart your equipment or servicing your equipment. So what we've done with our products, keep in mind our product, which acts as a machine controller and every unit has a screen built into it. um, What we've done is made sure that our products can play videos. So as an OEM manufacturer of the industrial dishwasher or of the ice cream machine, if your customer needs to know how do I clean this unit, how do I change the filter, those sorts of things, they can just play a little short video right on the front of the unit that tells them and shows them exactly what they need to do. And they're not picking up the phone and digging through machine maintenance manuals and those sorts of things. So, you know, those are a couple different ways that we're trying to allow maybe, you know, uh, the non-traditional user to get the information they need to, to be efficient.
0: That seems reasonable to me. I'm sure. I mean, what, what has been the response? I'm, I'm, that uh... it's
1: been really good i mean you know what we have done for instance we do have a specific customer who has in in the who does make an ice cream machine and it's worked out really well for them because obviously in that scenario especially you're talking about teenagers and other folks um and they you know they they just need to do their job they don't necessarily know exactly um you know how they're how they're supposed to load everything up and how they're supposed to clean everything and, you know, by providing those those little videos on the front touchscreen there, uh, there the number of calls, you know, uh, support calls and those sorts of things has just gone way down as an example. So that's just one example.
0: Well, Chuck, you're just making it way too convenient.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes.
0: What's next for, for Horner Automation Group?
1: Sure. So I mentioned the fact earlier, we have this R&D group that really what they do is they look forward. What's coming? What do we need to be prepared for? And one of the things that we're starting some actual work on, uh, so it's gone a little bit past just the the look and see phase, and that is machine learning. So, uh, you know, of course, in the automation world, we're controlling machines, we're controlling processes. Maybe it's a temperature control, maybe it's something more sophisticated than that. So, having the ability to do some machine learning to really dial that process down to the nth degree could be a technology that would have some great utility in the automation area. So, of course, there's a lot of questions yet. Are we going to be doing the machine learning on the machine level? Are we going to be just gathering data on the machine level and trying to build the the models in the cloud? What's it going to be? We don't know all that yet. But we're making sure that, again, that the processors and the operating systems that we're using, that we're 100% ready for that technology And we're hiring some of the folks that have the intellectual property that can kind of take some of that modeling and figure out a practical way for us to get it, again, potentially right on the machine.
0: All right. Well, Chuck, I have to say, I really enjoyed uh, our time together. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: And thanks for having me. It was a fun time. Always enjoy the conversation.